Though I'm feeling tonight a little bit nervous about the upcoming changes in our country, feeling a little sad about the loss of the present occupant of the White House. Happen to feel a very, and not, not agree with everything, but a lot of a very strong affinity with the, his human, his humanity, and elegance, beauty, intelligence, you know, everything. And, uh, and I was thinking about something he repeatedly says, which is, the, which is not something that has not been said by other leaders of this country, that the, that the job or the process of uh, perfecting our union is, um, is uh, I forgot how it goes now. It's not perfect. It's a long process. Uh, just in very similar way to the process of perfecting our hearts and minds is a long and gradual process. And I was thinking today, especially because because um, I, I was thinking especially of the the team of people who work who supports Mission Dharma. As Dave was saying, Mission Dharma is supported by your generosity, but it's also supported by the generosity of the people who volunteer and the lead volunteers are a group of, of very dedicated yogis, many who have very mature practice, who, who have helped shepherd this uh, nonprofit and are really thinking every day how to enliven, how to enrich the experience of this sangha. And it's not just my sangha, it's everyone's sangha. And it doesn't... It has no self. It's made up of everyone who comes here and what, what, we, what we offer, what we, how we participate. Well, this cadre of, of board members now, they used to be volunteers, now they're board members. Uh, the, most of them, the majority of them, have now done a very extensive, intensive uh, uh, ending, I forgot the name of it, Undoing racism. They did a total immersion this last weekend. And it's a reminder they did an immersion in undoing racism. I did the very, a few of the other board members, and, uh, and along with many of us, Spirit Rock teachers did the same training in the spring. And I know the mature practitioners on our board, I know from my own practice. I've been in silence in my life more than three years. I've done a lot of deconstructing reality, a lot of seeing through the self-illusion, seeing through the illusion of others. It has, it has opened my heart, and I know it's opened the heart of, the, of the, those who serve our sangha. Their practice has really unleashed a, an impulse, a, the natural heart's impulse to care, to serve, to be of benefit. That's happened to me. 
had a lot of meditative insights. Yet, in the course of my uh, both serving in this role as teacher and and even and having a lot of for 20 years, Spirit Rock has been a been thinking about and caring about the prevalence in our country of racism and, and uh, injustice and all the, m- the many ways that, that we, uh, we don't treat each other as we treat ourselves. And we've been thinking about it a long time and with, in spite of all of that practice and all of, that, all of our caring, so much blindness so much ignorance, especially us white folks, ignorant to what it's like for so many people in our culture every day. Our neighbors, so many people in this room who don't have, a, who, who don't have an ease of movement through this world, who every day is, I love that President Obama says, says, you know, he's, he knows what it's like to walk into a department store and be followed around. White people don't know that experience so much. I mean, that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Racism, injustice is embedded in every institution in our country, to housing, to education, to, to banking, to everything, every element of our culture, it, it is an uneven, an unbalanced, unequal, um, unjust society. And yet, at, in the heart of everybody's heart, there is this intention, a good in- intention to be happy, an intention to, to be a benefit. And somehow, we have to, as, as yogis, as people who are interested in awakening, we have to include every part of dispelling that. I talked last week about greed, hatred, and delusion. I don't know if any of you remember that, but I talked about the three poisons. And it's very easy to talk about the three poisons uh, in a general way. The, basically, the three poisons are greed in the mind, the mind that's caught in thinking I have to have something different to be happy, the aversive mind that something has to go away, I have to get rid of something, and delusion is I, I, I see myself as separate. I see, I see imp- things that are changing as permanent, as the possibility of them being permanent. I see things that are inherently unreliable what's sometimes described as unsatisfactory, I think that they can give me lasting happiness, a reliable sense of happiness. And I see things that are clearly not personal in my own mind and body, but I take it very personally. That's the general. And I talked a little bit more about the delusion is that delusion of taking things personally or referring to everything as me and mine even though if we study our mind and body, this body is not me. It is coming and going according to its own will and wish. Moods are not me and mine. Thoughts are not me and mine. Everything is happening in some way fundamentally as selfless, selflessly. 
And when we see through this, this illusion of, of solidity that we often, how we often refer to ourselves as somebody, often even referring to our body as solid, when our body, there really is no body. That is a, that is a, an, it is a conceptual overlay on a, a very dynamic, ever-changing, dying process. And yet, from, a, from the distance, it seems very solid. So from a distance, we seem very, like solid entities quite separate from one another. But when we examine ourselves much more closely, there is no place that you can find where I stop and you begin in the ultimate truth. There's no place where you, where you can say this, we can find the beginning of this body. We see that it's made up of the elements of earth, air, fire, water. You see that our mind is made up of all of our cultural conditioning, all of our, our familial conditioning. It's made up of religion. It's made up of education. It's made up of all these non-personal elements. No place in this individuality can we find something that exists completely independently apart from everything that's formed us. And yet we walk around thinking, I'm my fault. What I think about, what I feel, it's, it, I did it. It's my fault. I'm to blame. I take the credit for it. And this is a form of delusion. But the deeper impact of that delusion is we continually, in creating that sense of me, we continually create that sense of other. And in, because that, that sense of self is an illusion of sorts, it has a relative truth, I'm here, you're there, but because it has ultimately no independent existence, it takes tremendous amount of work to try to defend it and protect it and build it up and to, to keep others, uh, to keep people in a place of other, to reinforce the sense that I'm here. And we, it has become, the, it is because of our vulnerability, it's become the cause of our injustice, our racism, it's become the cause of all of our obliviousness to, uh, to ourselves as a, a family, as a, uh, I like the, you know, we're in the post-Martin Luther King day, and if, if you don't, if you aren't just completely touched and moved by the wisdom and the heart of, of Martin Luther King and everything that he represented, you're not human. You've, but one of the things he said, he he says, we may have all come here on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. And yet, somehow, through, through um, our unique differences, which are also beautiful, we sometimes, and because of the human <coughs> tendency toward delusion, toward an excessive identification with our differences, all of us in our own way, whether you are in the dominant culture or the, a, a minority culture, there is still a very strong impulse in our consciousness to other, to otherize. And this is what our practice has to break through. It has to break through both on a microscopic level, 
helping, our, helping us see, uh, to feel, experience our place in the family of things. But then on every dimension that it expresses itself in our life, we, we can't just pretend that, that we're, we just can't pretend we're all one. We have to actually feel it and act as though that's true. We, we have to come to a place where even as a, as a sangha, as a community, we're acknowledging, yeah, this room has, has, we all came here on different ships. Let's say that for a moment. Each person here came here on a different ship. And many people in this room came here on a ship that was no fun. It came out of struggle. I think everyone here came in some measure out of struggle. If we went back far enough in each person's story, there's not anybody here that, I know I did, I, I, I had the good fortune, maybe I talked about this already, I had the good fortune of, of seeing the play over the Christmas holiday, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. That's my family. Their little village was basically mowed down, exterminated by the, by the Cossacks during the Bolshevik Revolution. And all the, and the, the Jewish people in the town you know, either wiped out or they spread. They spread throughout the world with, with absolutely nothing. And you know, I, I, could tell, I don't want to tell you my whole story, but I would not be here if it wasn't for that their oppression, their struggle, their, um, their suffering. And I know every, so many people in this room have a, have a similar story. I think we have to, we have to know each other's story. Uh, we, have to, we have to, if we want to be yogis, we have to see what ways am I what ways am I blind? As, I'm not blind, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to use that word. Uh, but in what ways am I oblivious to uh, unaware of, um, of certain privileges, certain uh, views that are just part of my own, my own cultural heritage? Again, for especially, especially the white folks. Because they, they don't, white folks in this country don't often have to th- think about being white. But people of color, always thinking about being people of color. And that creates a, a sense of, uh, a sense of uh, lack of safety by and large, white people feel all the time. Now, I know my wife was telling me last night, as a woman, she's always afraid in some level, some way. She's always. That's an experience as a white guy I don't get. I don't get. I understand fear and my own version of fear, but not a pervasive sense of a lack of safety. I need to know that so I can have empathy so that I can realize, so that I'm not creating a sense of other without even knowing it. So that's what, as a sangha, I am committed for us to do, be able to really say, yeah, I'm blind, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I keep using that word. Thank you, Noemi. My guru is sitting in front who, 
who's reminded me that even though the meaning for me of the word blind is, is uh, meant to be a wholesome um, acknowledgement of unawareness, it, it tends to, it's very loaded for people who have, who are vision challenged. So I try not to use that kind of language. Nevertheless, uh, we don't even know, I don't know what I don't know. And I've, I am, even though a longtime yogi, a longtime teacher, I am constantly, constantly making mistakes in terms of causing harm where I don't even realize it, just by the fact that I can be oblivious. And uh, so I'm committed uh, to confessing my delusions whenever I, I can and um, not enrolling anybody to correct me because uh, I don't want you to feel the pressure of having to do that. Of course, if you feel like doing that, that's fine. But, I, but no 